My name is Alex, and this is the Thousand Movie Project podcast. Earlier this weekend, while staying at my boss's house to take care of her pets, I had a conversation with my friend Pavel Klein, a movie critic, and I recorded it. Ever since I started blogging or vlogging or making podcasts, I've always felt just producing content is, I guess, the the catch-all there. Um, I've felt like there, it's I've always felt like it's something of a cop-out to start things off with like a meta discussion about the medium and about like my plans with the medium, like to write a blog post about the writing of a blog post or to do a vlog about the anxiety of vlogging. It's super interesting if you've been blogging or vlogging about a particular topic for a really long time and then you want to like take an episode to, to sort of riff on all the stuff that you've learned. But when you're still something of a novice and, and the only thing you're really reporting on are your anxieties and your projections about what this whole thing is going to be like, I feel like people will kind of resort to that sort of content uh, often out of fear. Like they're not totally confident yet that their passions or their expertise or their opinions are going to be interesting enough to sort of attract an audience, let alone hold on to that audience's attention. But I'm getting into that kind of subject matter here at the beginning in the interest of candor. A conversation, naturally, especially a long one with someone you've known for a long time, is kind of a wily thing. You cannot script it. Um, you can't make sure that it follows a certain clean trajectory. This whole podcasting hobby is making me so so respectful of broadcast journalists and like talk show hosts it's 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 up to the point of reverence because i'm noticing as i edit this conversation like the harrowing frequency with which i will be saying something that does not at all communicate like the gist of what i what i know i was trying to say but so what happens is like i'm listening to the conversation and i'm editing it and i keep wanting to like reach my hands into the computer and like unspool the conversation and scribble a few corrections into the script but but i can't like it's 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 different if i'm if I'm perfecting a monologue for the podcast or if I'm working on a blog, but when it's just audio, like that, sh the shit is done. There's nothing to be, to be, all you, which is almost kind of peaceful because you just reconcile yourself to the fact that like, okay, I did this a few days ago. I did the very best that I could. And uh, now I have no choice but to sort of put it out there. But it's also kind of awakened some dread and some curiosity about like the efficiency with which I'm communicating myself to just anybody like in my day to day. Pavel and I have worked together at adjacent desks at the same office for like three years now. We, we communicate primarily with our eyebrows. So it's clear through the conversation. I think you can hear it that he's like intuiting my points before I'm even finished making them. But I'm curious, and this is a source of anxiety. Um, I'm curious about whether a perfect stranger might chime into this and find themselves kind of deaf to some invisible current of understanding that exists in the conversation between two people who know each other very well. Just a coded language of not just, it's not just verbal, like there are gestures and shit, inside jokes and, you know, long-standing resentments. So you see them dancing around a topic and you don't quite know why, but you can intuit that there's something here. It's also, it's editing this has also opened my eyes to how much of a fucking control freak I am. I am, you, you can hear it in the podcast, I think you, I am lording a kind of paranoiac control over the entire conversation, layers of control. Like not only, in the course of the recording, am I pitching pretty much every topic that we're addressing over the course of these two hours? I then go on, I've then taken the recording and I edited it. Uh, I, I'm manipulating sentences so that Pavel and I both reach our points a bit quicker than we actually did in the conversation, and so that we say um and like less often than we actually did. And now, on top of those two things, here I am introducing the conversation and, and thereby providing another layer of like personal stamping on it. So Pavel Klein is my favorite person to talk movies with. He's a total expert um, whose own critical writing is becoming increasingly personal and showing more and more of, of who he is. And, and that was kind of the catalyst for wanting to talk talk with him for a while and put it on the show. You can hear in the introduction that's going to follow. This is, this is the introduction to the introduction. But you're going to hear me mention in the second one that this whole thing is occasioned by a particularly personal piece of movie writing that he just published on a website called Jitney Books. But another thing that we discuss here and uh, that we've discussed a lot in person is this dread of sounding pretentious whenever we latch on to a piece of popular entertainment and then we take it so seriously and like we hold on we hold it to such standards and then we let ourselves get super bent out of shape when it doesn't deliver the the journalist um uh, chris lyden from radio open source interviewed philip roth in 2006 and they addressed this idea of like cultural elitism and and choosing to be very passionate about things um here, here's a quick clip of it i think i think roth says some interesting things uh, discriminating audiences aren't either stuffy nor elite. They're discriminating. Right. Uh, last night, uh, I was in New York. I went to see the third in a series of uh, Shostakovich Quartet recitals that's being given by the Emerson Quartet. 
And these quartets of Shostakovich are unlike anything else in, in the 20th century. And a third of the hall was empty. This is Alice Tully Hall in uh, Lincoln Center. Now, that's okay with me, and it's probably okay with the Emerson Quartet, and it's okay with Shostakovich. But the people who were sitting there were not stuffy or elite. They were people who uh, find great pleasure and sustenance in listening to Shostakovich. So I don't think we should yield to the um, descriptive terms that are used by the enemies of high culture. Because high culture is and uh, valuable and is neither stuffy nor elite. That was uh, your friend and mine, the late novelist Philip Roth. And incidentally, I want to thank the folks at Radio Open Source for giving me the permission to use that little snippet of audio. I sent them an email and they wrote back almost immediately. So thank you guys. But there's a different vibe when you're when you're talking passively about the fact that you attended and like sustained consciousness throughout, you know, a Shostakovich quartet than the vibe that you're giving off when you're arguing about like the the differences of narrative integrity between the Terminator and the Rambo franchises, which is a big topic in the ensuing conversation. Or when you're when you're talking seriously and at length about the problems with the new Godzilla movie, or about the fact that Jean Claude Van Damme should be taken more seriously than Steven Seagal. Anyway, I've got these anxieties about about posting a conversation, but you know, doing a podcast or sustaining a blog is a tough thing to do, and it takes a lot of time. And you reach a point after a while where you realize that the only way that you're going to be able to keep your stamina up, the only way you're going to be able to stay interested in this, is if you're integrating the kinds of topics and themes and, and segments that naturally interest you. But when it comes to recording and then broadcasting that conversation with my friend, well, that was just him and me trying to entertain one another and keep each other involved in the pod- in the conversation, which was interesting to do because we were fucking sitting right across from each other. Like, this isn't the kind of scripted collage-style podcast that I'm normally doing, um, where I'm trying to make sure that every point is communicated as succinctly and as clearly as I can possibly m- communicate it, um, and where there's a variety of sounds and voices and I'm mixing things up. The place that this ensuing conversation starts out is with my referring to a think piece that Pavel just wrote. And yeah, so now, without further ado, let's switch from me delivering a monologue to the sounds of me delivering a monologue. Here's my conversation with movie critic Pavel Klein. Today I'll be talking with my friend Pavel Klein, who I'll be referring to as Paul throughout because that's what he goes by in daily life, but he publishes under the name Pavel Klein. He writes for Jitney Books and Punch Drunk Movies and posts longer versions of his reviews and links to their larger publications on his own website, which is called writepavelwrite.com. That's write with a W. He got a master's in film from the University of Miami and goes to critic screenings all around Miami, writes two or three reviews of new and forthcoming movies each month, attracts a good deal of local web traffic. Meanwhile, I watch old movies pretty much exclusively and seem to use each one as a challenge to see how can I start talking about this movie and then seamlessly wind the conversation back to my genitals in 700 words or less. But so we're going to be talking about movies naturally, but also writing and its attendant topics of our writerly ambitions and the overall space of movie criticism online. I wanted to start, though, by mentioning that earlier today I was invited to lunch by a friend of mine, an older guy. And so I drove out to the restaurant he suggested, and from the moment I sat down to the moment I left, he listened to everything I said with one to three quarters of his attention. He opened the conversation with a complaint about the traffic, and then a complaint about the parking, and then a complaint about the heat outside, and then a complaint about the <laughs> and then a complaint about the restaurant's busyness. And when the floor was open to me to regale him with the status of one thing or another, I found that his eyes didn't really meet mine. He was studying the asses of every woman who passed our table and failing at discretion. He was looking at the dishes being served to surrounding booths and either bending his brow in consternation, tell me, Alex, really, who orders an omelet at noon, or popping his brow with intrigue. Look at how much meat they put on that sandwich. You get generous portions here. If he wasn't staring at asses or omelets, he was looking at the TV behind me, mounted on the wall over my head, and he was so engrossed in it as I was talking, so clearly ignoring me in favor of what was being played on the TV, that I finally turned around to see what the fuck had him so hypnotized, and it was a fucking national spelling bee. And then I leave our lunch, and I drive back to Starbucks, and I pull out my notebook, and a blog post that I'm supposed to edit, and a script for the podcast, and a proposal for a book, and I can't shake this feeling that a grown man, a man who clearly likes me enough to invite me to lunch, nonetheless finds that, when presented with Alex on his left, and an omelet on his right, and the national spelling bee in between, I am the least likely of those three things to hold his attention. I'm thinking about this in contrast to having just finished reading a small biography of Charlie Chaplin by Peter Ackroyd, where, in the final chapters, we find Charlie Chaplin exiled to Switzerland, living with his much younger wife, Una, and feeling ignored. 
He didn't feel like a has-been, necessarily. He was making films into his final decade, and for the last couple years of his life was tinkering with a script that everybody knew he would never finish. The world was ignoring him, and rather than feeling like he had lost his magic, he felt like the victim of a world that had turned too naive and superficial to appreciate the genius that had never dimmed. That feeling of being unseen or ignored is obviously an inhibiting factor when you're writing in such a crowded field online as film criticism, but I was thinking about it also in respect to your having recently branched out and written a think piece, and I'm wondering where that's coming from and if you think it's about having a higher estimation of your own work, or if it's that you just don't care anymore about whether it's necessarily up to the par of whoever might be reading it, because I know I experienced something similar and I can't quite articulate what it was when I started in October accompanying my movie response pieces with diary posts of just writing about whatever the fuck I want and now, invariably, every single day when I look at the website's analytics, I find that those diary posts where I'm just posting my opinion as opposed to commenting or critiquing or analyzing a movie, those generate the most traffic, the most comments, and yeah, I'm wondering what your reception is. And when you look at the analytics, are you finding that that... Or did you even put it on your own site? I did not put it on my own site, actually. Okay. Um, um, I, still, I guess I still could. Um, as far as, as, as what made me want to write this one was... The simple answer is I was just so fucking mad. I about, was just so about mad. John Wick. It was, I was just mad about the, the critical reception that John Wick was getting, um, and I just I had to say something about it. It was just driving me nuts. Um, as far as reactions, I've been checking Jitney's reactions. I think it had one share okay. when I looked. But um, the interesting thing was was on Facebook when I when it was posted. Uh, so people who had never shown any interest in my reviews wouldn't just say they liked it they would also give it like a love you know what I mean right. so it might, it might be you know it still is not reaching a greater audience at the moment but it, it seems to be reaching a different audience it, it's not the most well articulated thing I've ever written it's not a brilliant piece of work because it wasn't meant to be it was just meant to be an off the cuff reaction of like what the hell's going on here um, and fully realizing that that that, uh, that I could be wrong, you know what I mean? Like, it's not that I'm completely right, but it's just like, I feel like I am. You know yeah, I mean? that's like, actually, I was noticing that, that you have, you wrote it in such a way that you allowed yourself that safety net of saying, mm -hmm. but maybe I'm wrong. And I'm always inclined to do that too, but I'm wondering if that's a manifestation of cowardice. The, the thing is, is that, is that when someone gets so riled up by what you're saying, you know what I mean, they're not going to listen to what you're saying, Right. that that I sort of felt like, and, and I and it is just, I think it is part of my 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 personality to, to sort of always take a step back and go, I could be wrong, you right. know? Because I, I felt, I, it was, it felt, I mean, maybe it is cowardice, I don't know, but it felt to me less so, it felt more like, I felt like I was becoming an asshole. That I sort of had to dial it back a little bit and say, because I kind of was accusing anybody who, who liked John Wick 3, who didn't like the end of Game of Thrones, of suddenly being part of a hive mind, which we all, right. we, we all can agree that's kind of stretching it. You can like the movie. You you can you can dislike Game of Thrones, and, and there's there's good reasons for both. And also, know? I know I think every time, well, I can think of a number of occasions where you have been you have been like not in the mainstream of an opinion, and you mm. and but you often refer to, and I, I'm thinking in particular of the Last Jedi. You were referring a lot to um, Empire Strikes Back, and saying that you have seen the tides of the public opinion shift. Yeah. And that kind of is the perspective. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, in television, though, is there a... Oh, yeah, I we should contextualize and say that your think piece was about people being kind of hive-minded and saying that the ending of Game of Thrones is a piece of shit, right. and hive-minded and saying that John Wick 3 was a masterpiece it's, it's, of its genre. But um, when it comes to television, have you in your life seen retrospectives where people were like, actually, that ending that we hated was actually pretty good? Because in my life, I think the only... You think of something? No, the only... But the only ending I can think that was universally embraced was Breaking Bad. I don't remember mm -hmm. anyone being mm -hmm. upset by that ending. But mm -hmm. it, it's true. The Sopranos was a straight 50-50 polarization. Yeah. Dexter, it seemed, was overwhelmingly negative. I think Dexter had already lost its audience by that point. That's but, true. But it, it sort of didn't ingratiate itself. Yes. <laughs> it didn't go out on a high note. Right. It just kind of stayed sucky. Um, and then I think... What was that video game that was so... Oh, Mass Effect 3, I think. I was in college, yeah. and it was so immersive, and people were so pissed by we the ending... Mad. that My they, brother was they mad. They created downloadable content with a different ending with if different you wanted ending. it. Yeah. Um, but then, also, that makes me think of, like... I'm sorry, I'm all over the place, but the Sonic the Hedgehog people saying, like, okay, you guys don't like what we did. Before we've even released it, let us Let's do the whole it. thing over. Um, I'm kind of glad you brought that up, though, because that's one of those things, again, and I guess maybe my think piece was sort of reacting to that 
um, the hive mind. The, no, the, the other think pieces. You know what I mean? Oh the, yeah. Because what I noticed was that that suddenly there was there there is this common thread in when people, uh, not people, when journalists are writing about this, where they they just go after the people who dared complain, and sort of be like you're a bunch of whiners, and now yeah. now they're kowtowing to you whiners. And my thing was, granted, I'm never. I don't often feel strong enough about something to to like like something about Sonic the Hedgehog that you know to go online and complain about it. I'll, I'll talk to you and be like that looks ridiculous. That's or talk true. To, you know, but I probably won't go online. But but the fact was we all saw it and we all were like, and I, we should what say the fuck? we all. But I think generally I think I would say like ninety percent of us were like, what the fuck is this? And playing so, Gangsters Paradise. And playing Gangsters Paradise. <laughs> so um, you know, I I think people have a right to complain. I I think that they're not making a. And I think sort of this is what, I, what I'm trying to say with, with, with the piece was that we're not looking at things deeply enough because we're all looking for just a hot take. And we're not sort of thinking sure. about the other side. And the whole thing is, is that, you know, unless, unless a majority of people were saying, you have to change this, you know what I mean? And then they will kowtow to them. You could sort of see like, okay, that, that's that sort of, um, um, you know, uh, fanboy importance that, that, that sort of, you know, like, like, like what I want is important, you know? And there is that, and, it's, and it is obnoxious. But I don't think that the Sonic one was part of that. I think it was just people, like, just genuinely reacting, like, oh my God, this is horrifying. You know, right. like, what were you thinking? Right. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's kind of what I... A lot of people just seem to, again, they... There seems to be that... And I, I think I'm, I'm getting to this because I, I'm part of this. And I'm trying to get away from it, which is that there is sort of like an accepted thing that we say. You know what I mean? Oh, fanboys are a bunch of whiners for complaining about Sonic. And so everybody starts saying it. And yeah. I'm like, but are they? You know? Yeah. Or if you're over the age of, of 30 and you like comic books, you are a you're neck bearded, basement dwelling right. mama's boy. That, that seems to be changing because, again, more people are coming out and going, that's not true. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that really taking off with the release of the Ghostbusters movie. Where, uh, I thought we were eating cheese. I am eating cheese. Um, the release of that third Ghostbusters movie with uh, the all-female cast yeah. and um, their whole marketing thing was that the people who said negative things about the trailer online were, were men living in basements. Yeah. And I, it's, it's been, it was so weird to see that in subsequent interviews, Melissa McCarthy and Paul Fay have stepped back from that. And have they're like embarrassed. They're like, yeah, that probably wasn't the case. Um, <laughs> it's so, but it's like you guys, you guys started a real problem. Yeah. By presenting that narrative, yeah, um, and now they're just yeah. like, yeah, never mind. It's it, and I think the word that's that's what we're looking for is is the narrative that we're we're creating, and right. it's and it's sort of like it is our responsibility, and it's my responsibility as a writer also who wants to have his thoughts, you know, put right. out into the world. I think it, it is a responsibility to to take a step back and go, hey, let's think about this before we go crazy. Um, and, and, and again, the reason that, that, that I feel strongly about it is because I am just as susceptible as anybody else. It's just that, like now at 41, I'm sort of looking back and I was like, man, there's a lot of times where I, I would, I, I would uh, put out a reaction about something that I know is purely because of what I've read about something than, than how I felt about it myself. Right. Oh, that's terrible. That movie's terrible. That book's terrible because I read a review that said it was bad. Right. So what? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if what I'm doing now is better, which is... Well, what I heard wasn't good, right. and what I heard didn't make me interested in it. But I think it's a baby step, you know? And, and, I, and I think that it's true that we, we all, and this is something that we all kind of go through, is that we all want to have that definitive thing that's the truth. This is the truth. Right. You know what I mean? And, like, and, and it's very difficult, and it's almost cowardly to just go like, well, there is no truth, so forget about it. You know what I mean? Right. But, but you still want to... Um, you, you want to get in, in coding that there's a thing called truthiness you know what I mean like it's yes. kind of true you yeah. know what I mean like and I guess that that's that's what we're looking for you know what I mean like and I, I think that, that that just crapping all over Game of Thrones like the finale just as an example that's what we're talking about is not reaching really truthiness I mean it's they have a the complaints do have a point you know what I mean? But I think what, what really bugged me was when I go to work and people who never talk to us about about arts who, who right. will actually mock us because because we yes. we are so into <laughs> these things who suddenly have a, 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 such a passionate reaction to, to Game of Thrones where I'm like, well, what makes you different from us? Now you see it. You know what right. I mean? Like, and then they'll just come in and go, that's the worst thing I ever saw. And I'm like, well, because you don't watch that much. Right. And they you say, and, and I think even more insulting to the writers is um, saying... 
it, it, this wasted a decade of my life because the ending wasn't great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, like, I remember prior to even seeing Endgame, uh, Avengers Endgame, mm. which I saw the, the day after its release, so I, I you know, was not really inundated with spoilers, but I did see a bunch of headlines where they were like, this eye-rolling time travel thing, and they were talking about the writers fucked this up, the writers fucked yeah. that up, and then I listened to a two-hour podcast on the Kevin Smith podcast where yeah. they were interviewing two writers and you realize how intricately planned this was um, they asked the writers like how many how many drafts of this thing were there and he was like literally around 50 you stopped counting mm-hmm. and um, you think like here are two very smart guys at the top of their profession and they spent a decade on this project you just spent three hours watching it once and you went home and wrote a think piece about how they are inadequate a hot take and it's weird because then I don't know if you feel this way but it's like I get worked up about that yep. but then I think I, I want. I want to. I don't know if this is pretentious. Do, can I conceptually divorce my movie writing from that world, or it's it, it's it literally is the equivalent of like the river of paparazzi flashbulbs that you see on red carpet. Yes. Um. Just it's just glitter. Yeah. Exactly. I. I. And and that's where the John Wick, uh, Game of Thrones think piece came from was a reaction to that because it, it had been a month of building up of, of. Ex- I mean that the the reactions that I was getting and you know. If you have an Android phone, I don't know if you, you know you get those notifications from yes. Google News, and they were inundating me without me asking for it. You know, of some one jerk after another being like, "This is why the uh, Captain America's you know uh, ending story is you know, wrong." Like, yeah, is wrong or ignorant. And, or, yeah, or, yeah, and saying that that, that all the writers screwed up. They're such idiots and this and that. And um, you know, I I've written many a review where I complain about the writing. You know, but I really I I tend to think that it really is when it's something clearly half-assed right and I think that, that when you watch Avengers I, whatever choice that, choices that they made whether you agree with them or not I think that it's pretty clear that there, that there was thought put into it and if not and maybe if we would even disagree like I'm not sure that the time travel holds up I would like to hear um, their podcast mm-hmm. how they, how they um, defend the time travel but my, my whole thing was that I always felt that, that, that they, they held on to what was important which was the emotional truth yeah and, and so it's sort of like yeah it, they, they may have broken their own rules when it comes to time travel, I think. You know, and, we, and it was mentioned to me the moment we stepped out of the theater and we said, we said yeah, that may not make sense. But none of us were like, fuck the movie, it's done. You right. know, we're like, like, we're like, yeah, but it made, you know, it worked. And I, that's, what you, that's what we asked for. And it's sort of like, I feel that we're at least trying to think of it from other sides. Whereas you just have a petulant person coming out and being like, this sucked and they shouldn't have done this to me. You know, like to they, me, yes, you're right. Was, That's it's the vibe. It's being done to me, and and believe me, I've been I've been part of that. I'm pretty sure I, if I don't watch myself, I may say it also. But it's it's just I'm trying to be more aware of that and right. be like, it's not about you. You know what I mean? It's, um, and so uh, there was something I wanted to go through with that but about divorcing our writing, our kind of writing. This sounds so arrogant to even discuss, but it's it's, it's on things that but you do come wanna, to mind. You want to better yourself. You yeah. you want to see. You know, you see what what you don't like, and you don't want to. You don't want to do what you don't like. Right. But I know that sometimes I'm on crunch time and I have to finish something and I will go for a cliche that I'm like, I thought I would never fucking write that. Right. You know? So, um, well, it's one thing to take a cliche. It's another thing to take a, a, an arbitrary position of moral indignation right. because the movie did not scratch your itch. Or, and, and, then, and then when you read the reasoning for it, it's like, but you weren't paying attention. Right. You know? And, and, um, how spoilery should we get for Endgame? I don't. Oh, it's should, been out. It's been out it's for been a out month. For, yeah. So, yeah. Um, my, I remember talking about this specifically with my friends, with my brother, that that we really liked what they did with Captain America. That they didn't just kill him off. Yeah. And that and that and that you couldn't kill off Iron Man and Captain America and be like, <laughs> you know, hey, you know, we're just gonna murder everybody like it's a Transformers movie. You know right. what I mean? Like, every, you know, everybody's gone. Um, and 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 but that, but then you still gave a definitive ending to this character, to Captain America. You gave them both definitive endings, Iron Man and Captain America, that were not the same thing. I've always held very strongly that um, to k- killing a character is either cowardice or courage. It's it's never in between. It's either you have to have huge balls to kill a character, or you're a coward. You don't have to finish your story. Yeah. And I got that. I learned that from the tenth anniversary DVD of Clerks. And um, <laughs> there was they were talking about the original, the original ending, ending. Was somebody just walks in and murders the protagonist yeah. at the end of this comedy, this yeah. crude dick joke comedy, yeah. 
and uh, Kevin Smith saying like I just didn't know how to end it, so I killed him. And I remember I was I think film school thing to do. Yeah, I was like 14 when I saw that and okay. heard him say that, and I, I was writing a lot of fiction at the time, and I it, that it, I remember it making me think really critically about like oh my have I have I done that? Uh, um, just think like okay, you know what I should do at the end because I don't know what to do. Disappoint the reader <laughs> right. uh, because it's shocking. Yeah. And suddenly it's artful, and oh, it's oh, black and white. That's the and, thing, you know, you know uh, that's kind of why I made that comment that it's such a film school thing to do. I mean, when I was in film school, it was it was whenever you wanted some attention, you had to make things dark and dramatic, you know what I yeah. mean? And like here I was making action movies, making <clears throat> dumb comedies, you know. Um, my my. So this is how long ago I was in film school. Our first films were in 8mm. Really? Yeah. So try editing on that, these little th- thin strips of, of film. And, uh, and it wasn't even like in a real projector. It was like one of those sort of like, it just sort of shows you like shadow images, you know? Like, I think it's kind of like how your dog sees. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like seeing your film through cataracts. Um, I feel really bad about saying that. That's fine, I'm sure you would agree. <laughs> so, um, you know, but we put it together and, and my first film was all about, it started off with a guy in a, in a, in a bloody shirt. And, and being interrogated with like 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 shapes moving around behind him and, and it's a harsh lighting all this stuff and then at the end it turns out that like the it's the, the gag is that it's ketchup on his shirt and like he was at a picnic and a guy stepped on the bottle and it hit him okay. you know what I mean so <laughs> sort of diffusing the whole pretentiousness right. or, or attempting to maybe I'm being pretentious just by no. trying to diffuse it yes that that was and so when Kevin Smith when I saw, did you ever see it? Did you ever see it? On, yeah, on the yeah. DVD it, it is not on the DVD. I had to find it on YouTube. It's yeah, it's horrible. I yeah, mean, like because it's like the end credits are over, just like the the, the 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 cash register ringing. You know, like there's no music. It's just supposed to be this like, oh my god, like to suck the air out of room right. on Sunday. You know, and, and and it's like it's such a film school thing to do where you feel that you have to be dramatic, and then especially after. 90 minutes of just being frivolous basically yeah. you know what I mean to suddenly feel that that's what you have to do at the end and he's and he himself says that if he would have had that ending I don't think he would have a career yes, I think he might have, yeah. would have been nothing it, it, people would not have picked up on right. that although I, I can imagine because it premiered at Cannes I think and I can imagine a lot of people a lot of critics projecting profundity onto look at how we we spend our whole lives tied up in a single day's drama and it ends yeah. like that um, but look, look at all the people who have won the, the Palme d'Or at, at, at Cannes and, and, and we never hear about them true again. the same thing with, with the Oscars um, you and, I remember you and I early on when we met trying to go back and forth about like how many what were the past like 10 or 15 best pictures and how many of them does anyone still talk about yeah. Crash I remember liking very much um, oh, okay. You're I'm just sick. making faces. Um, but also, okay, you were talking about uh, pretensions and um, frivolousness, and I wanted to bring up two things, two significant... Okay, trailer for Terminator 6 oh, came God, out, yeah. and the trailer for Rambo 5, it's, in, within 10 days of each other. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it's so interesting because like, I, there's so many comments... First of all, I saw in both... In the, red, in the Rambo trailer Reddit comment field, okay. it was all people just like, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready for this. Yeah. But with Terminator Six, there was a lot yeah. of like, yeah, the opposite. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny because it, it's sort of like these two trailers came out. My friend Adriano and I are, are huge action nuts. Yes, so like, and that's why I, 80s action in particular. Yes, 80s yeah. especially. And so um, he, I think he shared a Terminator trailer with me. I got the Rambo trailer yesterday from like the, the press people. Yeah. So I immediately the first thing I did I was like check your email. I sent it. To, I forwarded it to him. And um, and it's funny how our reactions are so completely different. Where you know they both are sort of cashing in on a, on a franchise that probably has had its day it's, a long yes. time ago but, <laughs> yes. but yet it was exactly that with Rambo we're like we're so ready for this yeah. and then Terminator we're like James Cameron's name is on this shit you know like um, you know I, I will say again to take it a step back and say that shit ain't finished yet and they probably have a lot of effects still to do for Terminator yeah, yeah. That, but my whole, my whole thing is that, is that with Terminator the difference being that there's just no story to tell anymore there, and, and because the, the interesting characters who existed are done. You know, like they've had their story right. told, right? And, um, but with Rambo, I, I feel that, the, as funny as it may sound, that, that the character of Rambo has sort of... There's heart there. There's, there's something there. And when you hear there's the voiceover, it's like... Yeah. I don't know if you follow Sylvester Stallone on social media. I do not. I should probably. You know, but. it's so weird. He is not good with words. Um, he thinks he is. <laughs> right. And um, exactly. He thinks he is, yes. but he's not. Yes. And um, But it's so weird. He seems so infernally aloof 
but he has created two of the most iconic Hollywood figures in the second in the second half of the 20th century, yeah. or if all of all time, Rocky Balboa and, and John Rambo. Mm-hmm. And w- there's something about their simplicity and their the earnestness with which they're presented. Right. Whereas with the Terminator, it's like they're going back and forth between is this serious, is it not, are we ironic, is this sincere, and 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 just. You know, it, it's always a variation on uh, a Terminator is, is helping a young person stay yeah. alive. And, and it's how many, yeah. times, how many times can you do it already? And that was a funny thing with Terminator Salvation, I think it was called. The, the Meg the G one directed the, one. The one in the future? Yeah. Was that when, when they announced that one, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm interested in this just because like, they're finally doing it in the future. Yeah. But then when you watch it, it basically was still the same thing. You still had, had a, a good Terminator who was protecting John Connor. That's really what we ended up yeah. still having. Um, so it just sort of feels like no matter how many times they, 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 they try to change the, the skin, it's still the same movie underneath. And, and, I, and it's just, there's nothing to be done here anymore. I, I, I think even, even Terminator 2 was already doing it. You know what I mean? Like, like they, 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 they kind of took the premise of the original Terminator and they and inverted they, it. Yes. And, but that, that inversion was kind of brilliant at the time, but you've done it once, you can't do it again. Right. And it's sort of like, the story's done. You know, like, there, there's, you know... Um, <laughs> in, in the novelization which had the of Terminator 2 which had the original ending for, for the movie before James Cameron cut it out at the last moment it actually it actually just shuts off the whole story it's like it actually ends with old Sarah Connor on, on what's supposed to be Judgment Day kind of just waiting to see if they actually had averted it and, she, and they have so it's kind of like oh okay, we're done yeah we're done and they filmed it and, and it's her like in horrible old, old age makeup and being like we're good you know and they realized that they were like we can't we can't end it like this. Because we have to perpetuate the... We have to perpetuate it. Although, and it was then 15 years before they made a sequel? I think so. It was, so, 92 11? was... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and what was the sequel? We, it was... Same shit. It was the same shit. And and then not even with, with sort of James Cameron's um, obsessive eye, you know what I mean? For, for, for detail and for... Right. Um, cool gadgets and mechanics and, and special effects. You right. know, you had some... You had, I think it was... I find it always strange that I can remember the names of terrible directors, but I can't remember, like, you know, like my friend's birthdays, you know what I mean? So, um, so it was directed by Jonathan Mostow. Um, who the hell is Jonathan Mostow? Like, why is he given Terminator 3? And yes, there's something about John Rambo where the, the, you see in this man's face the accumulation of all the other movies. Yeah. And the same thing with Rocky. As outlandish as that franchise has gotten, yeah. it is all canon. Yes, None of the yes. sequels pretend that the predecessor the did not didn't happen. happen. Yes, um, and that's what gives it its power, really. I guess so, because you're like, oh, I grew up with this guy, and he's still that guy. Yeah. Whereas with every Terminator movie, you don't know which iteration. Where are we now? Yeah. It, it, it's like the X Men movies where you're like, what timeline is this? What the hell? Yeah. Like, like it's 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 just it's a scatter shot. What do you think about those those perspectives? Because it seems you might be feeling this way about Terminator, where people are like, give it up, and then but there was a part of me that was thinking like with the Rambo thing, it looks like a fan made trailer. With yeah, money and the narration yeah. is awful, but it's but it's charmingly awful. Right, and, um, it but, works for what it is. Right, and you see people, some people saying like, "Why spend fifteen, twenty-five, thirty million dollars on this?" You know, the story is so old; it's done. We've seen it before. But then there's the other perspective of like, there is an audience that wants to see it, and yeah. if you can recoup your yeah. thing and and make a few yeah. million, why not? Right, uh, but. Then I can see the argument of like, well, if you don't do this, then Stallone will do something more interesting. Or I don't think he will. <laughs> Maybe not. But uh, you know, and, uh, you see, he's got a new idea for another Rocky movie. Um, but, oh, <laughs> but go on. So, what what is your perspective on that? Um, I think what what if these movies would be successful financially, you could see it happening. With Terminator, I mean, they've been making less and less money. I mean, like the last one barely even broke 100 million as far as uh, in the and, United and States. And it was floated by the success of that woman who plays uh, the uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. yeah. Um, What's her name? Amelia Clark? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, and uh, you know, the whole thing with the Terminator franchise is that, is that it just isn't a franchise. Anymore. It's kind of like the Predator movies where they keep kind of trying. Yeah. And every time it's like, I don't know if I want to say they're worse, but they're not, they're not getting better. As we said, I think Sylvester Stallone's reach exceeds his grasp, right? Mm-hmm. But, but there's still, he still has a little something in that reach, if that makes sense. And so like, like he tends to find a reason. So... You're saying that he has a ridiculous reason for doing Rocky, but like there might be a, like a little thing in right. there that might just be interesting enough that I'm like, I'll give that a look. And I think I think with with Rambo, there is there is just something there with that character where they gave him 
such a nice ending in part four where he kind of goes back to his farm and then now you're picking up sort of like oh I didn't know we we're gonna pick up with this again right. so it's kind of like you're, you're giving me a reason to it may not be a deep reason it may not, not be a, a a, 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 the world's most solid reason but there is a feeling of like there's a reason why I'm picking this up again where with Terminator I do not see it Tarantino do you have any interest in uh, Once Upon a Time hell yeah uh, uh, the reviews have been kind of glowing um, but um, but but not but still staying back from like it's fantastic yeah you know so and uh, maybe since he's still working on it that yeah. was not really the final cut yes talking about putting stuff stuff back apparently the first cut was four hours and 20 minutes and this current one that they screened is two hours and 45 oh, he really? wants to put some stuff back in but it was making me think of like what we were discussing of okay some you know like with Avengers it's three hours they've mm-hmm. been working on it for a decade and uh, you write you have your immediate impressions and you report on those immediate impressions yeah. but I was thinking of like imagine being a film critic at the time that you know once upon a time in america came out and it was four hours <laughs> and yeah. you 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 cannot keep a leash on that storyline the first time really yeah um you have to watch it again and again yeah but you also have to turn in your piece yeah and um that's very true yeah that's very true and and especially for me with with um i think we've kind of discussed this before sort of being slightly introverted you know what I mean? In, in respect to like having to having to go to screenings. And, oh yeah. And so what happens to me is that is that you're suddenly in a room full of just packed with people. You have to sort of deal with uncomfortable situations that most other people don't give a shit about, but you yourself are, are you know, I mean, like, oh my god, this this just you know uh, builds dread inside of you. And then you're told like within seconds the lights are out, and you have to stop thinking about all that. And put your focus completely on the movie, right? Um, and then you're still thinking about like I still have to go home, I still have to do laundry, I still have to, to you know, like like put the food out for the cats. You know, you have all these things on your mind. Um, that it, you know, it's funny because we always right, and I, I don't disagree with it. I would say rightly so that we always say the best way to watch a movie is in a theater, but the worst way to watch a movie is probably in a screening, in a really? free screening. Yeah, because you have you, you people are stupid. You know what I mean? Like, they don't have respect for, for your space. They don't have respect for even the movie sometimes. I mean, you'll have people talking and, and carrying on, despite the fact that you have security guards watching you. You know, and all those things, like, you know, having to go through security, having to um, get the spiel constantly, like, we're watching you, you know? Um, having people come in late during the movie, ask you to move your seat. Having people moving your seat when you're not, you right. know, when you're not there. All those things, and... And then, and then also, when you see a terrible movie and people are applauding and laughing at the dumbest things, you're like, "Well, I've kind of lost faith in humanity." So um, it's, it, I think it is difficult to to try to gauge. It. So the thing that I that I always kind of point to is that I, even having 24 hours to let it marinate before I actually write a word out and, and say, you know, before I actually start writing, is is a really short time. So imagine when you walk out of the theater and there's people there with, with notebooks in their hands going, what'd you think? Right. You know, and hoping that you say something positive um, to the point where you were walking out of Detective Pikachu. And, oh, yeah, that and was And they look at you like, like, like you ate a baby because you're like, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay for it to suck for me right. because it's not for me, you know? Right. Um, if it would have been great, then it, then it would have been, then it would have included me. But whatever, it is what it is, and the audience loved it, so good for them. You have your movie, you know, enjoy. Right. But uh, but yeah, to it, it is it is funny because you you see these um, you see a, if you go online, you know how when you go every website somehow has those those people who bought ad space and they always have these sort of like you know it's amazing how these people hated each how these actors hated each other and yeah and yeah and you wouldn't believe what this person looks like now yeah and and you come across these articles and they and they always they always make fun of how critics got things wrong back in the day and you're sort of like yeah but you had like 24 hours to come up you know what i mean like yeah we have now like it's like when people complain about 2001 when it came out i was like i think if i would have seen it back in the day and not have the, the cultural context to build it up to what it is and sort of have an understanding of what he was trying to do, I think I might also be like, you pretentious fucker. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, so, it, it is, um, it, it's not an, you know, like, I mean, I don't even call it a job, we don't get paid for it, but it's not an easy thing to do to write a review and to, and to be like, we want an opinion from you and we want it to be the right opinion. Right. And, and I think that's the whole thing, like, what is the right opinion? You know, so, uh, I know that in the past, 
I'm going to say the past just because I, <laughs> I don't want to invalidate my opinion, but I do worry about that. You know, like, am I right? Am I making a fool of myself? You know, if I come out and... Uh, but I, I try to go with my gut anyway. But I think that that pursuit of, of right, am I right, am I correct, is, is like the, is the, the approach I'm trying to get out of and, and trying to think, am I just being consistent with my own voice and kind right. of like, this is why right. people would come to your site right. is because they kind of want to spend 300 words with you or something. Right. And I was just thinking that, I was just watching the other day um, two or three things I know about her. The Godard movie. Okay. okay. And oh my God, it was unbearably pretentious. I thought, and then like uh, the uh, the uh, Steve Donahue, the book critic, I tell you about, mm-hmm. he's got the YouTube video. He was talking about how he hates um, books about philosophy. He thinks it's the most senseless topic in the world. And he says, you know, they're all just about the phenomenological phenomenology of phenomenon. <laughs> and um, that's what this Godard movie was like. It was just a bunch of people staring ponderously just off camera and talking about the poverty of words. And. Um, like it just nothing, and then I read these synopses of what happened in the movie, and I'm like, I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. And it was, is this a shortcoming of mine? And then, but then you see consensus among several different synopses, and it's like, are they feeding off of each other, yeah, or did all of these people see the thing that I did not see? Um, right. And then it makes me think, should I watch it again? But <laughs> Do I I, yeah, I've got 530 more to go, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, that thing of like what. Yeah, just quite the inver- the constant inversion and re- the recursiveness of it, and questioning yourself, yeah. um, and like you were t- describing the Pikachu thing. In like, is it your job to do a review of what your ex- what the experience is, or are you appraising whether or not the filmmaker achieved what they wanted right. to achieve? And if you want to straddle the fence, you end up having to do like the thirteen hundred word review of Once Upon a Time in America that I read in the Guardian. But who is going to read thirteen hundred right. words of a movie that doesn't come out for two months? Right. Right. Yeah, with, with Pikachu, I, I took the, the... I kind of did do... I did straddle that line a little bit where I was sort of Talk like... about what was going on in the theater. And, and because it also stood out to me in the theater. You saw the people who were just responding to... You know, the word Pokemon comes on and they're, yeah. they're applauding. They see a Pokeball and they're, oh my God, like they go crazy. And and it's it's hard. It's hard. Like, I, I think I would... See, that's where I would think I'd be a churl if I'd be like, fuck you guys for liking this. Like, how many shitty things do I like? You know right. what I mean? Like... Um, so uh, I, I felt for me it was a natural thing to, to, to sort of be like, I, I appreciate you. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that you appreciated this, but this is not for me. Um, but but what, I, what I tried to do then was really focus on the humor and, and try, you know, I don't always succeed. Uh, and I'm sure I come off a hell of a lot more arrogant than I want to. But, um, but, but with, 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 with both that and John Wick, I really tried to make the pieces funny. So that at least if you're not agreeing with me, you're at least kind of laughing. A enjoying little bit. the experience. Yeah. Enjoying the experience. And I, and I think that's sort of what one of the things I've learned over the couple of years that I've been doing this, which is I think it's less about your opinion and more about the experience. Entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it's sort of like I try so hard to get to the essence of what I'm trying to say. And, and it, it, it happens over and over again where... You know, I, I work so hard to, to, to explain myself, right? Explain where this is coming from, what I'm saying. And then I'll post it and somebody will go in and, and, and you know from what they're saying, like they're just reacting to your headline. Yeah. Because you, you like with, with the Us review, there, there was a, a point where, so the headline that, that I put it to, to get readership, I, I put the headline saying it's, it's a horror film with, with mass appeal, right? Now... It, it, that headline makes it sound like I'm like I'm saying it positively, but when you read the review, I make it clear that it's like it's not a positive for me. You know what I mean? Okay. Like I'm like it's good for like, it is good for a certain audience who who just want enough scares to be like oh okay, but who don't want it to be right. that extreme. Even though I, I felt the content deserved extremity, if that makes sense. It, it the, uh, us was kind of it, it was screaming to be a much more violent and gory movie than what it was. Okay, maybe. Yeah, I can see I, that. That's, that. That was my that was my take on it, and um, and so I posted it on Facebook, you know. So us is a horror movie with mass appeal, and then one guy just writes back, "No, it's not." <laughs> you know, it's, it's you know what you're allowed you're allowed to to disagree. Of course, that's yeah. what we're built on. You're allowed to disagree, um, but it's just like when you're just being a jerk and just trolling me for like just disagreeing with the title. You know, when it's clear that I wasn't actually saying that in the review, like it's kind of, it's it's a little disheartening, and and, right. and it, but it, but it makes it clear to you that that um, people don't want to read 
completely what your opinion is and, and have you work out every all your feelings about a movie. It's yeah. just, and you know what? I don't blame them. It's not that much fun to read, right. you know. And I'm and I'm I'm not away from that yet. I'm only realizing that now, where it's like maybe it's just not important. Yeah. Um, and and in the recent reviews I've written, I, I've gotten them in like around 500, 600 words, where I used to be, you know, a thousand words. Yeah. yeah, like like a thousand words for. Um, Daddy's some, home too. Yeah, Daddy's home too. Because I had to, and I remember actually when I asked you to um, edit that one and, and 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 look over it, that there was a part where I was complaining about how they treat the women in the movie, mm-hmm. and I had a good paragraph that I think said it very clearly, and then I went for another paragraph and explained even more how they're doing it, and you were like, "Why is this here?" You know what I mean? Like you already made that point, and you're just making it again with more details, right? You know, and so uh, you know, I, I kind of. It's a learning process, and, and you sort of start to pare it down, and, and so now I realize that it's you want to have both, right? You right. you want to be able to express yourself, but you don't have to express everything, you know, right. and you don't have to make everything clear to to the, the last point, and 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 it's funny because when it's not that different from when you from storytelling, you know, like. Um, some of the worst movies are the ones that over-explain everything where characters have to just sit there and go, this is what's happening. Yeah. And they're telling, they're talking for half an hour and everybody's eyes are glazing over where it's like, you could have made that point without having to say it. Right. So, um, I, so I'm, I'm sort of only, I'm, I'm only on the cusp of that or realizing it and actually trying to put it into action where it's like, okay, we, you know, you can say it in 500 words and try to be funny and try to be entertaining at least. Yeah. To, uh, yesterday... Uh, Quentin Tarantino published an essay about, oh. and I think I forget what it's called, not the Independent, but something like that. And um, it was about Sergio Leone. Mm. It's maybe seven hundred words. It's not particularly well written. He doesn't say anything revelatory. Right. But I was reading it, and t- I didn't. I found myself my eyes wandering and my thumb kind of hovering toward the back button, like I was uh-huh. going to just go back to Instagram. <laughs> like, and um, then I realized, like, yeah, the writing isn't compelling, but it is interesting to me within the context of my larger interest in, in Quentin Tarantino. Um, this this piece is only interesting to me insofar as it came from the keyboard of Quentin Tarantino. Right. And it, when you read it, it reads... If you erased his name and put, you, you know, would. Billy Prosper, right. I'd be like, yeah, Billy Prosper, okay. You, you've seen these movies, I can tell. And I would have left it at that. Yeah. But he's just, you know, celebrating Sergio Leone for 700 words. Yeah. And not saying anything particularly incisive. Yeah. Appreciating some things that I would not have appreciated, particularly the wardrobes of things like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, mm-hmm. The Dusters, and shit yeah. like that. Um, but, yeah, there... Yeah, and there is, and I remember we, we've, we've spoken about how, like, there are some people who don't necessarily say insightful things, but if, if they're producing content every single day, mm-hmm. they become, like, a friend. Yeah. Um... The one daily podcast that I know of, I listen to every day. And not every comment is, everything they're talking about is interesting, but it's a company while I'm in the shower. Um, yeah. I, I just yeah. I just play it. And uh, yeah, I, I think that was my that was the cause for my shift into doing those diary posts. Right. And now, I don't know if you can do something similar, if you're at all interested in doing working something like that. Working on it. Um, right. What was the thing that you had just happened to you? Oh, your visit to the Salty <laughs> Donut. Salty Donut. Uh, where, where, where's the new location? Um, it's close to Sunset Place, so okay. it's 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 the Coral Gables area. Okay. You know, I, I did Godzilla too, and I think after that. Oh, how was that? Yeah, I meant to ask you about that. Was the number one thing that I was going to ask you about? I about, forgot. Uh, uh, King of King of the Monsters. Yeah. yeah. Disappointing. It was very disappointing. There were there was a lot of backlash against the last American Godzilla film, the the 2014 one. 2014 one, which I liked a lot. Yeah. And uh, it was directed by Gareth Edwards, who. Kind of has a career stall now, even though he he was he was he's the credited director on Rogue One, the Star Wars movie. Why do you say credited? Because um, they had they did a lot of reshoots and re-editing, and then Tony Gilroy came, was brought on board, and he basically said himself, which was kind of a jerky thing, but he basically said himself that he directed that he wrote and directed the, the last third of the movie. So even though his name is on, on a successful product. Um, I, you don't really hear his name being bandied about for any other movies anymore. Okay. And um, he did a movie called Monsters, which he did. It was like he yeah, low budget, low budget. He did the effects himself. He he you know he went with a camera and a couple of actors and and filmed things just like on the fly. And um, it's not a perfect movie by any means. And and it's a little um, you know just kind of staring off in the middle distance. Uh, it's a little ponderous, you know. But but overall, I was like, this is this is impressive. This this is an impressive first work 
of a director. And um, so when he got Godzilla, I was like, this is a good idea. And I really felt that Godzilla, like, it's not perfect, of course, but I, I thought that, that the important things that needed to be done right, he did right, which was that he made he made the monster spectacular. Like he, because he, he, he even said himself in interviews that he made sure there was never a shot where you wouldn't have the monster in comparison to something else. So, so it would all, you would never have a monster just standing in the mist because that right. doesn't, there's no size to him, though, right. right? If he's standing there, there's always a person, a building, something that lets you see how immense these guys are. And, and, and I felt that, that he really sort of kind of got that, um, and it, this is so pretentious, but it's kind of work. I think it's, it's fair to say there's a certain verite, like a certain everyday, like, like kind of capturing everyday life with just a monster coming in the background, like what it would actually be like if you'd be in a city when a monster comes by, right. like a giant monster. And, um, and, and I thought that, that for whatever faults the movie had, I thought it was just incredibly uh, visually clever and beautiful and, and just sort of like, like this, is, this is exciting and just great to look at. Yeah, when you say that you love the first one so well, very much liked. Uh, I'm thinking of your love for Blade Runner 2049, which yeah. I had a lot of issues with because the story was not really propulsive and it wasn't uh-huh. really hooking me. But I, it is the same kind of eye candy, and and not and not just sort misty of misty like, and colorful yeah, and ominous. And you sort of you want to be there, and, yes. and that, that, that's what I look for in it. Like like I like those are like my favorite movies where I'm like I and not not just that you want to be there, like you feel like you are there. Yeah, and that's and, and I think only certain directors kind of capture that, and um, you know when Gareth Edwards did not return for this Godzilla. Which I almost, which I almost wonder, was it political? Like not political, but like in the sense that there were so many complaints, even though it, it did really well at the box yeah. office, um, that there were a lot of complaints after. There's not enough Godzilla. There's not, you know, like it, it's it's weirdly shot and this and that. And there were a lot of complaints. And so he wasn't asked to come back. And I was like, well, without him there, I'm not sure how interested I am. But there seemed to be some some nice visuals in this anyway. Were the fights good? No, really. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's um, they are all. Well, first of all, well, that might be tradition, but Godzilla gets his ass kicked like in every fight, which I'm like, so why are you king of the monsters? Like, it's just like every time he comes out, he's like, hey, I'm badass. Balboa. Yeah, maybe he's, he's, he's the this, underdog. This sounds like my kind of fucking monster Yeah, movie. maybe, yeah. But is there an uh, after credit scene? There is, I didn't stay for it. There, oh, really? You were yeah. I, you know, I, I wasn't that incensed. I was just, I was just, I didn't care. Okay. Like, I, I don't have any hatred for it. I was just so, it's so nothing. It's, it's, it's a nothing movie. Well, it was supposed to be a lead up to Godzilla versus Kong? That part we still saw because the end credits kind of like, like do a whole sort of, um, they actually pay tribute to the last Godzilla film where in the opening credits were all these redacted images of like, of like you know, like like uh, secret secret photos and, and secret files that they were showing and of Godzilla actually having existed for the past 50 years that we knew about. And they kind of go back for that in the end credits where they kind of do that sort of redacted, like, right. you know, the, the, the words are being blacked out as you see them of the actors' names and things like that. But what they're actually showing you is, is sort of how they're, like... Um, in the same universe. Yeah, that they're in the same universe. And, and they mention Kong throughout the movie. They, they mention really? a couple... T- yeah. yeah they, 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 when they, they talk about all the titans that are... Um, popping up around the world, and they say they say this one, this one, and they say Kong at the end also, and um, so they do show they show images of Skull Island, and, and like I think they're saying that they're all kind of converging on Skull Island, and then I think it ends with uh, like a shot like one of those cave paintings of Godzilla going up against King Kong, yeah. um, and then I, I looked it up and and, and and I saw yes there was a, an extra scene at the end, and we were waiting for it as the credits were going, <laughs> and I turned to my brother and I was like, do you really want to see that? See, and he's like, I don't care if you don't care. And I was like, let's go. So, because we just didn't. Right. It just wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. And then I actually looked up what it was, and I was glad I left. It wasn't worth it for me. I, it, it would have to have involved caring about this movie. And I just didn't, you know? So. Um, I, there, that reminds me that I loved the last two War of the Pla- uh, Planet of the Apes movies. Uh-huh. And this guy, Matt Reeves. What was he directing right now Batman. that I was excited for? Batman, that's it. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, Matt Reeves. He did Cloverfield, first of all, which which I thought I really liked. I loved it. I, I thought I thought they really again. Also, he, the most brilliant marketing of any movie yes. in my I, that's come out in my life. Yeah. Oh, I mean, except for maybe the Blair Witch. Yeah, it, it's it's up there with that. Yeah. I, I was just saying there was a piece about this. The I don't know if it was a clickbaity thing. I didn't click on it, but it was like the explosion of spoiler sensitivity and stuff. Oh, yeah. But I don't I don't think that is a cultural thing necessarily I think that's a 2019 mm. thing 
We have the end of It. We have the end of Game of Thrones. <coughs> uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is kind of... That's what prompted yeah, it, because it, yeah. it was a report from Khan. And, um, Definitely Endgame. I mean, that was huge. Endgame was massive. We just did not want that to ruin for us. And we found no one really wanted to ruin anything. Well, I mean... Eh, but you, there were stories there was, of people... Was, in Hong Kong, the guy got beat up because... He I did see that. Um... Should we should we tell the yeah the well, go ahead go ahead so so basically in Hong Kong a guy just who just come out of an earlier screening of Endgame started yelling spoilers out of the movie to the audience uh, that were waiting in line to get into the theater and apparently some people took a offense and beat him up so rightly so I don't rightly so you know because um, that's trolling and you're just being an asshole just to be an asshole right um, it's it's funny it again kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the. Um, where the, the sort of hive mind where, where I see a lot of it's funny I see a lot of journalists complaining over and over again critics complaining over and over again how like oh well everybody's so spoiler sensitive I can't say anything and I, and I and I've always like I've mentioned things in my review where I was like you know it's hard for me to go into detail because I have to because I don't want to ruin it for you right but it's not me lamenting that, that I don't. It's me saying I don't want to ruin this for you. You know, I. Have it's what you were discussing earlier of like this is not me espousing my opinion. This is me writing a piece of what amounts to entertainment. Right. Um, right. And and that's the thing. Like, and I had that that issue with that where I was like, are people going to find this entertaining? Because I have no facts about the movies. Like I have very few facts. Right. And and I, I think um, like I, that happened with Last Jedi, and I think that that you actually quite enjoyed that that review of I Last remember. Jedi. What, um, what was what was the gist of it? What. It was just basically that I can't tell you what's what's you know. Oh yeah, but yeah. I remember you making remarks about your audience gasping and yeah. what basically you communicated a lot about the movie by describing the mood in the room. Right, right. At like one p.m. in a critic screening <laughs> with a bunch of people who are as jaded as it can be. Yeah, um, yeah. Who were still <laughs> according to my brother, who's who was like he said, he said why are you all so quiet? And I was like, this is pretty loud for critics. Uh, yeah, well, um, I was Quentin Tarantino has done I think one or two interviews now about um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and he talks about like the best experience you can give to someone in a movie theater, and the experience that he says has always qualified a great one for him is being kind of puppeted, having your emotions puppeted by a filmmaker. And his example is always the beats of you're laughing, you're laughing, you're laughing, you're laughing, stop laughing, something brutal, and then. You're not laughing. You're not laughing. You're upset. You're horrified. Laugh. Start laughing. Um, and that the, playing their emotions like a keyboard. Yeah. And yeah. he says especially, and and all those emotional cues are amplified when you're having the cinematic experience, and you're in a giant room in the dark with strangers. Um, and with that, with so, with a filmmaker who is mindful of that, yeah, I want the reviews to be kind of opaque. Yeah. But and yep. yet. I am such a fanboy of these things that I noticed that like with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I was in you literal want the details. Yeah, I was yeah. in but I was in literal discomfort about how badly I wanted to see it and how curious I was. And then I read that thirteen hundred word, twelve hundred word piece from The Guardian, that very comprehensive re- five star review, where the guy voiced some misgivings, but yeah. mostly said and he gave some things away okay. that assuaged the sort of the I don't know the the needle prick of um, suspense that I was feeling or eagerness. Um, I don't know what it is. Like it's a discomfort. So so it, were you unhappy that he gave those things? Away no, I was pleased because it, okay. it, it was strategic. Like there were I saw on Reddit some people were responding to it, being like, "Whoa, big like serious spoilers." Mm-hmm. Um, like even just people responding to the controversy of that reporter asking Quentin Tarantino, "Why does Margot Robbie have so few lines?" Mm-hmm. And um, that confirming for people that, okay, Sharon Tate is a peripheral character. Is a peripheral character, yeah. This is not like a total rewriting of her story or something. Um, Which then arouses the controversy of you are using her for your Mm made-up characters. Um, Yeah. But, uh... That's true. Yeah, so I... I, There there are instances where I want to know a little bit. I've noticed that that you're you're much less spoiler-averse than... than, Certainly than I am. Like, like, it's funny. Like, I'm really... like. You you'll hear me like I didn't read that review. I won't, I won't oh, yeah. read this. I won't read that. And I remember you bristling when I told you about that toy, <laughs> the Avengers toy, which turned out to be true—a real spoiler. <laughs> when it happened, I was like, "Fuck you, Alex!" <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't—it didn't really ruin anything. But it was right. just like, I, yes, I would have liked it to have not known that. But on the other hand, there were so many things I didn't know that it was—it was perfectly okay. Right. Um, the last time I real at well, I don't know if it was the last time, but in recent memory, one of the most visceral experiences I've had in a movie where I like completely forgot about all things technical was Dressed to Kill, 
Have you, did you see that? Yeah. Yeah, um, makes sense. Yeah, it was only like two years ago, and I saw it at like two in the morning, and it's like two and a half hours. I stayed up until almost the crack of dawn, and I was absolutely riveted. Yeah. And maybe, I have not seen it again since, yeah. but and, and maybe it was tiredness that I was so enchanted. But I remember mm-hmm. as I was watching it, thinking like, I have not been this engrossed and this excited and this spellbound by mm-hmm. a movie in a long fucking time. De Palma at his best can do that shit. I mean, yeah. Have you heard about the thing with his new movie? That it was like it's eighty minutes long. It was recut from like a three-hour movie or something. Oh really? Like, oh, I yeah. didn't hear about that. I just heard like no one knows if he actually directed it. Yeah, or? I didn't know about that. I, I I mean I think but I think it was more in the sense that he he did direct it, but it was taken away from him. Yes. And recut, so it's not really because you know I mean what he did. Yeah. yeah, I mean editing. I mean like I think Kurosawa was the one who said it. He's like he's like. Directing is, is getting enough footage to go and make a movie in the editing bay. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. where your movie's actually made. So it's sort of like when a director doesn't actually edit a film, you're sort of like, he didn't quite direct it. You right. know what I mean? Like so, um, so his name may be on it, but if he didn't if he didn't edit it or, or he wasn't in the editing room, it's uh, not his. Making it's not. Yeah, it'd be hard to say that that's that's his. And he's I think he has also disowned the movie. He's sort of he's kind yes, of said kind like of. it's not it's not you know. I'm going to wrap things up here, and I'm going to post the rest of that conversation with Pavel Klein uh, in snippets. As always, you've been listening to the Thousand Movie Project podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you follow Thousand Movie Project on Instagram and on Facebook, and you can check out our blog posts just about every day on www.thousandmovieproject.com. And remember, while you're at it, to have a nice day.